Thank you. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr. Virendra Sharma. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Question number one, please. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, may I first say that the UK is deeply concerned about rising tensions between India and Pakistan and urgently calls for restraint on both sides to avoid further escalation. We are in regular contact with both countries, urging dialogue and diplomatic solutions to ensure regional stability. We are working closely with international partners, including through the UN Security Council, to de-escalate tensions and are monitoring developments closely and considering implications for British nationals. Mr Speaker, I understand that Eve Griffith Okai in your office retires at the end of the week. She has worked for four speakers, and I'm sure the whole House will want to join me in wishing her the very best for the future. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Varendra Sharma. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and thank you for the initial response. Mr Speaker, in the face of her total failure to secure the agreement of this House, when will the Prime Minister call time on this farce, extend Article 50 and put her deal versus the remain to the people? First of all, can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, I made a statement in the House yesterday and answered 82 questions in the House yesterday on these issues. Uh, we will be bringing a meaningful vote back by the 12th of March. As I said yesterday, if that meaningful vote is not is rejected again by the House, uh, then we would then, on the 13th of March, bring for, uh, have a vote in this House on whether or not this House accepts uh, leaving without a deal on the 29th of March. And if that is then, uh, if the House rejects leaving without a deal on the 29th of March, then there would be a vote on a short, limited extension to Article 50. But on his final point, I continue to believe that actually it is right for us to deliver on the result of the referendum that took place in 2016. Julian Knight. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The 2017 Birmingham bin strike led to mass fly-tipping across the borough border in my beautiful town of Solihull. With the threat of another strike ever present, will the Prime Minister join me in urging Birmingham Council to do what often seems beyond it? Be a good neighbour, sort out these strikes, which seem just a taster for what would happen under a hard left yeah, Labour yeah, government. Yeah, 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 yeah. What can I say to can I say to my honourable friend, obviously this is a matter for Birmingham City Council to resolve, for Labour-controlled Birmingham City Council to resolve. Rubbish piling up on the streets because of the failure of a Labour Council to get a grip. I think not only does it show what a hard left Labour government would be like. It also shows all of us that under Labour councils you pay more and get less. Jeremy Corbyn! Thank you, Mr Speaker. There is an urgent question coming up on Kashmir, but just to say this, that from our side of the House we strongly support dialogue, rapid dialogue between India and Pakistan in order to reduce the conflict, reduce the tensions and deal with the root causes of it before more lives are lost. I also join the Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, in uh, wishing Eve a very happy retirement. She's been absolutely brilliant in your office, and over many years of people rushing in and out of your office making totally unreasonable demands, she's always sorted it out. So could you pass on to her the thanks of lots and lots of backbenchers over many, many years? Mr Speaker, the Bank of England forecasts that growth for this year will be the slowest in over a decade. Does the Prime Minister blame her shambolic handling of Brexit or her failed austerity policies for this damaging failure? Yes. Well, 
Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, first I think he uh, should have seen the report that actually showed that the expectation is that we will have higher growth in this country over the, uh, the few, uh, coming year than they will have in Germany. But he talks about the economy. He talks about the economy. Let's just say what we see in the economy under a Conservative government. More people in work than ever before. Unemployment at its lowest level since the 1970s. Borrowing this year at its lowest level for 17 years and the largest monthly surplus on record. Conservatives delivering more jobs, healthier finances, an economy fit for the future. Well, Mr Speaker, I know the Prime Minister is very busy, I understand that, but she possibly hasn't had a chance to look at the Bank of England forecasts, which suggest there's a one in four chance of the UK economy dipping into recession. Manufacturing is already in recession. Car manufacturing declined at the steepest rate for a decade, down 5% in the last quarter alone. Honda, Jaguar, Land Rover and Nissan have either announced cuts to jobs or investment in recent months. Does the Prime Minister blame her shambolic Brexit or her government's lack of industrial strategy for this very sad state of affairs? Gentlemen, I've just explained to him what we see the positives of this uh, of, uh, under this government in relation to this economy and the consistent growth quarter by quarter that we have seen in our economy under this government. And what do we know would be worst thing for the economy in this country? It would be a run on the pound, capital flight, and 1,000 billion of borrowing under a Labour government. Mr Speaker, as manufacturing industry declines, it's skilled, well-paid jobs that are lost. But the Prime Minister is right, there is something that's increasing, and that is the income of the top fifth richest people in this country, which went up by 4.7% last year, while incomes of the poorest fell by 1.6%. With the poorest people worse off, will the Prime Minister now commit... Will the Prime Minister now commit to ending the benefit freeze, or does she believe that rising poverty is a price worth paying? Well, perhaps it might help again to look at some of the facts. The top 1%, the top 1% are paying 28% of income tax. That's higher than at any time under a Labour government. Inequality is lower than that that we inherited from a Labour government. And the lowest earners saw their fastest pay rise in 20 years through the national minimum living wage. That's Conservatives building a fairer society and delivering for everyone. Some of us cannot forget it was the Conservative Party that so opposed the principle of the national minimum wage from the very beginning. But, Mr Speaker... Mr Speaker, the government could perhaps start uh, tackling the scourge of low pay in their own departments. The Business and Justice Departments pay some of their central London workers as little as £7.83 per hour. And they've been on strike again this week, hoping to get a London living wage. Could the Prime Minister intervene and make sure they do get the London living wage so they can continue doing their very valuable work for both of those departments? Low pay, Mr Speaker, means many workers have to claim universal credit just to make ends meet. This month, the Work and Pension Secretary admitted 
that universal credit is driving people to food banks. Isn't it time to stop the rollout and get it right, or does she believe that rising poverty is a price worth paying? I'm not sure whether the Right Honourable Gentleman was repeating his previous question, uh, but can I just say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, first of all, he talks about, he talks about universal credit. In my, um, what we have said with universal credit is that as we roll it out, we have made changes to it, as we have seen uh, the, uh, how it has been operating. In my first months as Prime Minister, we cut the taper rate so people could keep more of what they earn. Since then, we've increased allowances to 100% of a full monthly uh, payment. We've scrapped the seven waiting days uh, that means that people get their money sooner, and we've brought in a two-week overlap for those people who are on housing benefit. The question, the question is why, when we were making all those changes to universal credit to benefit the people who are getting universal credit, did the Labour Party oppose every single one of them? Jeremy Can I just give one example, Mr Speaker, of what's happening? Take, for example, the food bank in Hastings, represented by the DWP secretary. Its demand has gone up by 80% after universal credit was rolled out. And the Trussell Trust reports that a significant proportion of referrals are relating to benefit changes, delays or sanctions, a huge increase in food bank uses. Mr Speaker, 4.1 million of our children are growing up in poverty. Last week, the Resolution Foundation said that UK child poverty was on course to hit record levels. Will the Prime Minister take action to prevent this? Will she start by ending the two-child limit? Will she end the benefit cap? Will she restore the 1,000 sure start centres that have been lost under her government? What can I say to the right honourable gentleman? As we look at the welfare system, what we want to ensure is that we have a welfare system that is fair to those who need to use the welfare system, but is also, but is also fair to all those people, those hard-working taxpayers, whose taxes actually go to pay for the welfare system. He talks, he talks about child poverty. Absolute child poverty is at a record low, and we know that a child growing up in a home where all the adults work is around five times less likely to be in poverty than a home where nobody works. And under this government, the number of children in workless households is at a record low. So when he stands up, will he recognise that work is the best route out of poverty? And will he recognise that while we're talking of work, he should welcome the fact that we now have more people in work than ever before? Three and a half million more people than in 2010. Mr Speaker, it clearly isn't working because so many people who are themselves working very hard, sometimes doing two or even three jobs, have to access food banks just to feed their children. She used to talk about the just about managing. Well, they're not managing anymore. Income inequality is up. In-work poverty, up. Child poverty, up. Pensioner poverty, up. Homelessness, up. Mr Speaker, austerity, austerity, austerity is clearly not over. People on low incomes are getting poorer, while those at the top are getting richer. 
the economy is slowing, manufacturing is in recession, and this government's shambolic handling of Brexit. The Right Honourable Gentleman will not be shouted down. It isn't going to happen. The attempt is foolish. It demeans the House. Stop it. Grow up. Jeremy Corbyn. Speaker, austerity is clearly not over. People on low income are getting poorer, while those at the top get richer. The economy is slowing, manufacturing is in recession, and this government's shambolic handling of Brexit is compounding years of damaging austerity. Their policies are driving people to food banks and poverty in the fifth richest economy on this planet. Are any of these, any of these burning injustices a priority for the Prime Minister? Mr. Right Honourable Gentleman, manufacturing is not in recession. Can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that it is not the case, it is, the, it is not the case of what he says about the lowest earners. As I said earlier, if he'd listened to my answer, the lowest earners have seen the highest rise in their, in, in their pay for 20 years as a result of the introduction of the national living wage, the national living wage introduced by a Conservative-led government. If he's talking about actually helping people who are in work, let's talk about the fact that we've cut income tax to help people keep more of what they earn. We've frozen fuel duty, so we're helping people where the car is a necessity, not a luxury. Since 2010, those measures have saved working people £6,500. From the way the Right Honourable Gentleman talks, you'd have thought that he would have supported them. But what did he do? No, he's voted against them over a dozen times. And that's the reality. It's working people who always pay the price of Labour. Thank you, Mr Speaker. For rural areas, access to emergency care is hugely important, with distances and journey times extremely crucial. the Prime Minister therefore agree with me and the 40,000 Pembrokeshire people who have signed the petition against proposals to remove A&E from the local hospital that the Welsh Government need to look again at this and ensure that communities like mine aren't left with second-class services that put lives at risk. Well, can I thank my right honourable friend for raising this issue? And obviously, I recognise when uh, the concern that people feel when they're li- particularly those who will be living furthest away from the planned new hospital. As he has said in his question, obviously, health is a devolved matter for the Labour Welsh Government. But I would urge them fully to consider the impact of these changes on local residents. We want to be able to ensure that people can access the services they need wherever they live in the United Kingdom. Blackford. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the House will want to join me in welcoming the President of the Dutch Senate and the Dutch parliamentarians that are with us. Uh, Mr Speaker, 100,000 jobs in Scotland are under threat from a no-deal Brexit. The Scottish Government's top economic adviser has warned that this could create a recession worse than the 2008 financial crisis. The Prime Minister must rule out no deal right here, right now. Why is she still blackmailing the people of this country? The Right Honourable Gentleman might not be surprised if I point out to him 
that there are only two ways for ensuring that no deal is taken off the table. And it's no good, it's no good members of the SNP shaking their head or muttering from a sedentary position. They need to face up to the facts. We will not revoke Article 50 because we're leaving the European Union. So the only way to take no deal off the table is to vote for the deal. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I think it will be for Parliament to decide. And, of course, there are our options. We can extend Article 50 and we can have a people's vote. Prime Minister, look at the faces of her colleagues. She is fooling no one. Parliament will not be bullied into a false choice of accepting her very bad deal or no deal at all. MPs from Scotland must now decide. Will they stand up for Scotland or will they stand up with the extreme Brexiteers and the Tory benches? Today the Scottish National Party will move an amendment to rule out no deal under any and all circumstances. Scottish MPs can back the SNP or betray voters in Scotland. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister finally end this Brexit madness and vote for the SNP amendment tonight? to the right honourable gentleman, he talks about an extension to Article 50 or a second referendum. That doesn't actually solve the problem. That doesn't deal with the issue. The issue is very simple. Do we want to leave with a deal or without a deal? And that's the question that SNP MPs and every other MP will face when the time comes. But then he talks about betraying voters in Scotland. I'll trail him what's betrayed voters in Scotland. As SNP Scottish Government that has raised income tax, so people in Scotland are paying more in income tax than anywhere else in the UK. An SNP Scottish Government that has broken its manifesto promise and raised the cap on annual council tax increases for homeowners. And an SNP Scottish Government that means people are facing the prospect of an extra tax for parking their car at their workplace. And all of that... Order! 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 There is a fest of undignified arm-waving and bellowing, Mr Kerr, from a sedentary position. Calm yourself, ma'am. Take some sort of soothing medicament which you will find beneficial. The Prime Minister... And all of that in a year in which the Scottish Government's block grant from Westminster went up. The, the real people betraying the people of Scotland are the SNP Scottish Government. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, we heard of the horrific anti-Semitic attack on an elderly Jewish gentleman in North London. Tonight, honourable and right honourable colleagues from across the House will be breaking bread with the Community Security Trust, a charity that exists to defend against anti-Semitic violence. Will my right honourable friend agree with me that we can never be too blasé about anti-Semitism? We can never be too uh, uh, tolerant of anti-Semitism, and the party opposite can never be too apologetic about anti-Semitism. Can I I say, first of all, I'd like to join my honourable friend in recognising the work that is done by the Community Security Trust. They do such important and valuable work throughout the year, and uh, I'm pleased that the Government is able to support the work they do. My honourable friend is absolutely right. You can never be too apologetic about anti-Semitism. But I think this actually sums up what we've heard, sums up Labour under their leader. 
they lose the Honourable Member for Liverpool Wavertree and they keep the Honourable Member for Derby North. It tells you all you need to know about the Labour leadership, present but not involved. And perhaps, perhaps, if the Labour leader actually wants to take action against racism, he would suspend the Honourable Member for Derby North. The Honourable Lady must be heard. Leila Moran. Mr Speaker, one homeless person dying on our streets is enough for a national shame. Yet the latest figures show that in 2017 there were nearly 600. And in that same year, the Vagrancy Act was used over a thousand times to drag homeless people before our courts. Crisis, Centrepoint, St Mungo's and MPs on both sides of this House are agreed it's time to scrap this law. Would the Prime Minister consider meeting with us and the charity so we can make the case for why we shouldn't wait one more day? Here, here, here. I say to the Honourable Lady, and as I think I indicated in uh, the Prime Minister's questions in answer to questions last week, um, we have seen, certainly in terms of the number of people sleeping on our streets, we've seen those numbers down for the first time in eight years. But, of course, there is more to do on, on, that, uh, on that issue, on the wider issue of homelessness. There's more to do in terms of building more homes, and we are doing that. But I will ensure that the relevant minister from the relevant department meets the Honourable Lady to discuss this. Mr Robert Neil. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <coughs> Residents in North Point House, in my constituency in Bromley, have ACM cladding on their building. They are paying out £5,000 a week for a waking watch. Repairs, remediation will cost £3 million. They have a fire brigade enforcement notice expiring on the 30th of April. The flats are valueless. They cannot raise the money against them. The freeholders and the developer, despite personal intervention by the Secretary of State, for which I am grateful, refuse to accept liability. Under those circumstances, will the government accept it may be necessary to intervene directly to ensure that those innocent flat owners are not out of pocket? Yeah, yeah. Well, can I say to my honourable friend, first of all, he's obviously raised a very important issue, and I know, as he said, he's been in touch with the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government and also with the Treasury about this. We, as I've said previously, we do fully expect building owners in the private sector to take action, make sure appropriate safety measures are in place and not to pass costs on to leaseholders. And we've written to all relevant building owners reminding them of their responsibilities. They must do the right thing, and if they don't, we're not ruling anything out. I would also point out to my honourable friend that local authorities have the power to uh, complete works and recover the costs from the uh, private owners of high-rise residential buildings. But I'm sure that a minister from the uh, MHCLG would be happy to meet with my honourable friend to continue to discuss this matter to ensure that the residents are given the peace of mind they need by the action being taken. Caroline Lucas. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In the event of a no-deal Brexit, the government has just decided that imports of medical supplies are to be handled by the same company that forced hundreds of restaurants to close because it was incapable of delivering chicken to KFC. It is literally horrifying that the PM's stubbornness is literally putting people's lives at risk through bargain bucket supply deals. So what guarantee can she give to patients who are watching us now, looking at this pantomime and farce in this house now, what guarantee can she give that they will be able to get their vital medicines when they need them 
in the event of that no-deal Brexit? Can I say to the Honourable Lady that the Department for Health and Social Care is taking the steps necessary to ensure that medicines are available. We've been clear before that it is not necessary and patients should not be stockpiling uh, medicines. The uh, medicines will be available. But if the Honourable Lady is so concerned about the impact of no deal, then no, it's no, and it's no good the Honourable Lady shaking her head. There is a very simple answer. If she doesn't want no deal, she should support the deal. Robert Halfon! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, The Sun Sun newspaper reported yesterday of a £1.6 billion post-EU fund for deprived uh, areas in the north, predominantly held by opposition MPs. Will my right honourable friend ensure that this fund is available to constituencies like mine in Harlow, where we have significant dis- deprivation and disadvantage? <coughs> can I, first of all, can I uh, say to my right honourable friend, we will be introducing a fund to ensure our towns can grow and prosper, and the details of this will be announced in due course by my right honourable friend, the Community Secretary. But I can confirm to my right honourable friend that Harlow and indeed other towns across England will be able to bring forward ambitious plans to help help transform their communities and, of course, will be working with the devolved uh, administrations and working in Northern Ireland to ensure that towns in Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland also benefit from town deals. Sir David Crosby. As a former shop steward and works convener, I completely understand the need to approach the uh, cliff edge in order to secure a deal. But rational negotiators never go to the edge old hands and jump into the abyss. So when will the Prime Minister recognise that constructive discussions should take place without the nuclear option of mutually assured destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Honourable gentlemen, constructive discussions are taking place. This House was clear what it wanted to see changed in, re- in relation to the withdrawal agreement and the package, the deal that we had brought back from the European Union, and we're making progress and having exactly the constructive discussions he's talking about. George Freeman. Mr Speaker, public trust in politics is dangerously low. Failing to honour and deliver the EU referendum result cannot be an option. I campaign to remain, but I'm 100% committed to leaving. The question is how. Most of my voters in mid-Norfolk said they wanted to be in the common market, not a political union. Given the clear warnings from the life science and agriculture sectors, key industries in Norfolk, about the danger of no deal, could I welcome the Prime Minister's decision to give this sovereign House the vote and ask that if the House votes against, she'll look at EFTA instead of the backstop, giving us the common market 2.0 that most British voters want? As I said yesterday in the uh, answer to questions, I think it was in answer to a question from our right honourable friend, the member for Harlow, the first aim of the government, and my first aim, is to bring back a meaningful vote that can command support across the House, such that we are able to leave with a deal. And the arrangements within the political declaration, I believe, have significant benefits in relation to issues such as customs, but they also provide for us to have an independent trade policy and to bring an end to free movement. And my my honourable friend talks about trust in politics. I believe those were important elements of what people voted for in 2016, and it's important that we deliver on that. Helen Hayes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister previously committed to a meaningful vote on her Brexit deal 
but had to be forced by the courts to hold it. She then committed to that meaningful vote in December, but pulled it at the last minute. And when her deal fell to the worst government defeat in history, instead of listening to MPs, she carried on regardless. So I asked the Prime Minister, what guarantee will she give this House, other than her word, that we will be able to vote to stop a no-deal Brexit before the 29th of March? Yeah. Can I say to the, the Honourable Lady, I set out clearly in my statement that yesterday, I have repeated it in answer to a question today, uh, the, the uh, process that the, uh, that the government will follow. Uh, we want to leave. The government policy is to leave with a deal. We are working to ensure that we can bring back that deal. She talks about the rejection of the meaningful vote and not listening to Parliament. Actually, the constructive discussions I'm having with the European Union at the moment are exactly about listening to Parliament, because on the 29th... Well, it's all very well the Shadow Trade Secretary shouting nonsense. He might not have noticed that on the 29th of January, this House voted by a majority to say what it wanted to see changed in the withdrawal agreement, and that's what we're working on. Sir John Hayes! Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> little, little moves us more than the death of a child, and for bereaved parents, uh, that grief is beyond words. Actions speak louder, which is why I've championed, inspired by the Honourable Lady from Swansea East, the Children's Funeral Fund. Will the Prime Minister tell us when the good work of her minister, the Member for Charmwood, will come to fruition, and that fund will begin to bring support and solace, Mr. Speaker? We can't mend broken hearts here, but those who've loved and lost deserve better than delay and doubt. Can I thank my right honourable friend and can I thank him for the work that he has done on this issue together with the honourable member for Swansea East? I think it is accepted across the House that it isn't right that grieving parents have to worry about how to meet the funeral costs when they've lost a child. And we have, as he knows, confirmed that parents will no longer have to meet the costs of burials or cremations. Fees will be waived by local authorities and paid for by the government. Uh, The relevant ministries have been working on the most effective way to deliver this, and I can confirm that this will be implemented by the summer. Bambos, Charalambos. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, In the last few months in my constituency, uh, a 98-year-old man was killed in an aggravated burglary. An Asian couple were robbed, held hostage and beaten in their home. Schoolchildren were mugged at knife point and a spate of burglaries have been committed across Enfield Southgate. My constituents do not feel safe. Does the Prime Minister recognise the severe consequences of underfunding our police service and will she commit to restoring funding for community policing to pre-2010 levels? To the Honourable Gentleman. Of course, we, uh, we recognise concerns that there are about serious violence. It's why my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has uh, brought forward things like the Offensive Weapons Bill, the Serious Violence Strategy, uh, setting up the Serious Violence Task Force. Uh, in relation to funding for the police, the Metropolitan Police will receive up to £2.5 billion in funding in 2019-20. That's an increase of up to £172 million on 2018-2019. But if he also wants to ask questions about funding for police in London, perhaps he should speak to the Labour Mayor of London. Justine Greening. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With the Government's review of higher education still underway, does the Prime Minister agree that the reintroduction of maintenance grants would be one outcome that could clearly aid social mobility for more disadvantaged students? Can I I say to my right honourable friend, first, first of all, 
I recognise that she has been a huge champion for social mobility and continues to be championing that social mobility. Uh, I, she, is, she is asking me to provide a solution in relation to higher education funding and student finance before the AUGA report has been, uh, has been received and has been published. Um, and uh, all I can do is assure her that obviously the work has been going on by uh, Philip Auger and his panel in relation to looking at this, and we will look very seriously at the proposals they bring forward. Mr. Stephen Hepburn. In, uh, in my constituency of Jarrow, there's a wonderful young lady, four-year-old Harriet Corp, whose life would improve dramatically if she had access to the cystic fibrosis drug or Cranby. It's available in Ireland and many other European countries and is due to become available in Scotland. Will the Prime Minister intervene personally in the negotiations between the NHS and Vertex to ensure that Harriet's family are not forced to leave their home and move elsewhere, along with many other families in the country. Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, obviously I'm sure the whole House will recognise the concerns of Harriet and her family in relation to this issue. Uh, We do want to ensure that patients have access to the most effective and innovative medicines but obviously at a price that represents value to the NHS. And NHS England has proposed its best ever offer for a drug, and this offer is the largest ever commitment of its kind in the 70-year history of the NHS. It would guarantee immediate and expanded access to both Ocambi and the drug uh, Calideco for patients who need it. Um, We've been following closely the discussions. The Secretary of State for Health and Social Care has offered a meeting with the global CEO of Vertex, NHS England and NICE in an effort to move this forward for the benefit of patients. John Whittingdale. Is my right friend aware that five years ago today, Russian special forces seized the government buildings in Crimea and raised the Russian flag? Will my right friend confirm that the UK government remains committed to the restoration of Ukrainian sovereignty over Crimea, and will she look at strengthening sanctions against Russia until that can be achieved? I'm very happy to give that confirmation to my right honourable friend. This was an illegal annexation of Crimea by Russia, and we have been doing everything in relation to sanctions that uh, we can to ensure that the appropriate sanctions are imposed that will have an impact. We have been one of the voices around the EU Council table that has been advocating at every stage, not just the uh, rollover of sanctions, but ensuring that as we look at the actions of Russia here and elsewhere, uh, we enhance those sanctions and uh, put the right, rightfully put pressure on those who are responsible. Angela Crawley. Mr Speaker, the Scottish Government have used their powers to increase carers' allowance to the level of job seekers' allowance, yet because uh, because carers' allowance is regarded as income under universal credit, this top-up is being undermined. Can I ask the Prime Minister if carers' allowance is meant to help cover the extra costs incurred by providing care, then why are carers on universal credit being penalised? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question, Angela. lady will know full well the way in which universal credit operates in order to encourage people to come into work. But I will, in, in relation to this matter, I will ask the uh, minister in the relevant department to write to her. Kapow! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Thousands of young girls, including sadly some from Taunton Dean, um, are purchasing so-called quick-fix diet and detox products, often endorsed by celebrities on social media. And these celebrities can be paid thousands of pounds for doing this. 
NHS chiefs say that some of these products can have highly detrimental health effects and are heaping uh, work on our mental health services. So in Eating Disorder Week and following the excellent Westminster Hall debate by my right honourable friend this morning from Angus, would the Prime Minister agree with me that this irresponsible and unsafe endorsement of these products should be addressed? She's raised a very important issue, and I'm sure all members of this House have had constituency cases where they've seen the impact that eating disorders can have on individuals, but also on their families and friends, and that impact can be devastating. Obviously, the Government has been taking steps over the last few years. We've invested £150 we announced that in 2014, to expand eating disorder community-based care for children and young people. And as a result, 70 dedicated new or extended community services offer care. But my honourable friend has raised a very important issue, which is about how uh, young people may be encouraged to take products because of their celebrity endorsement. And the celebrities who are doing that should think very carefully about the impact that these uh, products can have in, in, in uh, having that uh, effect of eating disorders, which devastates these lives. Nigel Dodds. Mr Speaker, uh, the Prime Minister and the, indeed the entire House knows the conditions under which her withdrawal agreement will have a majority. Um, and the whole House and indeed the country now knows that as a result of yesterday's events, uh, the prospects of the Prime Minister being able to achieve the necessary changes have been undermined and her negotiating position has been weakened. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. And can we have an assurance in terms of any possible extension? And I'd be interested to know what the Prime Minister thinks the purpose of the extension would be. But can we be assured that she will continue to focus on getting those legally binding changes? And hopefully during any future negotiation, she will not be undermined in the way that she has been so far. Can I say to the right hon. Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, first of all, we are continuing to press for those legally binding changes. Those are the discussions we have been having with the uh, European Commission. It is what I have spoken to every European Union leader about over the last uh, ten days or so. It is what I was speaking to people about at Sharm el-Sheikh over the the weekend as well. He talks about the extension to Article 50. Can I be very clear again? The Government does not want to extend Article 50. The Government's policy is to get the legally binding changes so a deal can be brought back to this House and this House can support the deal and we can leave on the 29th of March with a deal. Dan Main. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Unlike some ministers who cannot normally take the view of the Prime Minister as being her word and being binding, I do take the Prime Minister's word as being binding. Can I ask that the Prime Minister reiterates our manifesto commitment to leave with a deal or to leave with no deal? And that is our commitment. Can I say to, to uh, my honourable friend? But indeed, we have, you know, and I've always said no deal is better than a bad deal. I think we've actually got a good deal from the European Union. It provides for citizens' rights. It provides certainty for business with the implementation period. Um, it ensures that we have in the political declaration the arrangements for customs in the future for no tariffs, no quotas, uh, no rules of origin. Uh, and it covers a number of other areas that I think will be positive, uh, will indeed be positive for this country. There is an issue that the House wants to see change. That's what we're working on in relation to the Northern Ireland backstop. I want us to leave with a deal, I want to be able to bring back a deal that this House can support. Mary Rimmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Violet Grace Ewins was walking home from nursery with her grandma on March 24, 2017. She was hit by a stolen car driven erratically at 83 miles an hour in a 30-mile zone. The driver and his accomplice immediately left the scene, the driver absconding the country. Tragically, four-year-old Violet Grace died in her parents' arms the following day, and her grandma suffers with life-changing injuries. The offenders have since been sentenced to tariffs that do not fit the gravity of the crimes. In October 2017, the Government published the response to the consultation on driving offences and penalties relating to causing death or serious injury and confirmed proposals to increase the maximum penalty for causing death by dangerous driving from 14 years imprisonment to life, along with other tariffs for serious driving offences, and stated that Government would bring forward proposals for reform of the law as soon as parliamentary time allows. Today, after just one week, the public petition Violet Grace's Law stands at more than 74,000. The government is repeating the same response. Order, 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 order. This is a matter of the utmost sensitivity. I respect that, and that's why I'm allowing the honourable lady to go way beyond the normal length. But she must now put a question with a question mark. One sentence to wrap it up very well. Thank you, Mary Rimmer. Prime Minister, when does the government truly intend to bring the proposals for the reform of the law? Can I say to the Honourable Lady, first of all, I'm sure that the feelings of the whole House will be with Violet Grace's family at this terrible tragedy that has occurred. And I know from a constituency case that I had uh, the concern that parents and family members and others have when they see uh, somebody who has caused a death in this way by their driving being uh, sentenced to a tariff which they feel is less than it should be. Uh, the government has taken this very seriously. That's why we've had the consultation, and we will indeed bring forward the, uh, our proposals when parliamentary time does allow. But I will ask uh, a minister <coughs> to meet with the honourable lady to discuss this matter with her. Thank you, Mr. Peter Bone. Um, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I don't know whether you were as surprised as I was yesterday that yet again the media had report, verbatim reports of the cabinet meeting. Uh, straight after. In fact, they referred to colleagues in front of me as kamikaze pilots. Prime Minister, to sort this issue out, would it just be easier to televise cabinet meetings? the Prime Minister's answer. This is a very important question. Let's hear the answer. The Prime Minister. Can I say, Mr Speaker, I wasn't sure when you were doing a thumbs up when that was, uh, after that question, was whether that indicated that you had a a view on the televising of uh, Cabinet meetings or or not. Can I say to my honourable friend, he has tried various ways to approach this issue. I seem to remember last year, uh, last time he asked me this question, it wasn't about televising Cabinet, it was actually about uh, sending his CV in to be a, a Cabinet Minister. Minister. Perhaps he's a linked. Perhaps he wants to sit round the cabinet table and be on the television all the time. Well, we never knew that the honourable gentleman, the member for Wellingborough, had such ambitions. But maybe it lurks within him. Who knows? For my own part, I was merely acknowledging welcome and friendly visitors to the house. Order. 